Our next guest is Program Director of Transport and Cities at the Grattan Institute, uh, Marion Terrell. Good afternoon. Hello, Tom. Well, uh, there's a lot of things that might kill off the Melbourne CBD. One is public servants continuing to work from home. Um, uh, some of the others that uh, I've been thinking of do include a congestion tax, and the last one includes a, a, another drug-injecting facility. Why do you want to charge motorists for coming into Melbourne? Well, for exactly the reason that you say, so that you don't kill off the CBD of Melbourne, as we're coming out of the pandemic, what we're finding is that uh, traffic is back to its uh, the pre-pandemic levels, but public transport isn't. It's operating at about three quarters of the patronage before the pandemic. And so people have taken to their cars for very understandable reasons, but sometimes when we have a habit like um, we change our habit and, and then we don't change back when the reason has, has moved on. So that's one thing that's going on. But the other thing that's happening is as more and more people are getting electric vehicles, they're, they're great in many ways, but they're really cheap to drive and cheaper driving means more driving. So if the government doesn't take some kind of action, it really is a recipe for gridlock. But what, so you, you want to say if you drive a petrol or a diesel vehicle, you get slugged, say, $10 a day. But if you drive an electric vehicle, it would be free? No, no. I think anyone who's contributing to congestion should pay the same amount. And, and the, way, the way I think that this should work is, is it's been very successful overseas. And that is that um, you, you essentially tie a rope around the CBD of Melbourne. And if you want to come in just in the peak hour, then you pay a fee, which is about the same as a public transport fare and then after that uh, and then in the afternoon when you want to leave if you want to leave in the peak period then you pay to leave but at all other times of the day and the night and the weekend you wouldn't pay at all it's really just mm. to, to spread the demand over the course of the day but, but, it, but it seems very unfair for example i mean the industry i work in you know, i have to be here at a certain time i can only leave at a certain time it doesn't matter how much i or my employer might want me to work at different times. You know, there are set times that we have to come into work. And by the way, we are in the CBD. So you'd be like penalising some of my colleagues who have no choice but to come in um, during peak hour because that's sort of when their show starts. Yeah, look, I think um, definitely uh, some people can be flexible and some can't be flexible. There's no doubt about it. But the thing about the CBD, it is the part of Melbourne that is the best connected by public transport of all of Melbourne. And so it's a place where people do have genuine options. And so people can, can make changes on a lot of different fronts. It's not just changing the time of day. They can change their method of travel. Uh, they can also combine trips or they can carpool. Sometimes people take two trips when they could have taken one. So th uh, sometimes people come in for shopping or appointments and they come in in peak periods. There's nothing to signal to them that actually it would be better if they spread those trips over the course of the day and went for a quieter uh, time if they're flexible to do so. But th there's another problem here. I mean, the, the, during the two years of the pandemic, we were told endlessly by, you know, um, uh, by Brett Sutton, the, the, the chief health officer, and by Daniel Andrews and the Daily Dan, stay apart. You know, we can, you know, it's for the common good not to do, be near other people, socially distance and so forth. I mean, that message was rammed down our throats, all right? And so people quite understandably have reacted and said, all right, well, if it is better that we stay apart, and there's still plenty of examples where you're still told to do it, one way to do that is not get on a tram or a train or a bus, but instead drive in your own secluded car. So I, I don't see how having had government bodies tell us to stay away from other people for two years, we're now going to be taxed for doing just that very thing. 
Uh, look, I think that's right. It's very understandable why people have, have preferred their cars over public transport when they've had the choice to do that. But um, I guess uh, the public transport is not as crowded as it was um, and there you know there is a much greater awareness of cleaning and and ventilation but but like it's true not everyone is going to want to put themselves in that position and some of the other changes that have, have happened are we've got a lot more bike lanes I think there's more understanding of the need for um, pedestrian infrastructure and micro mobility infrastructure there's quite a lot of different things that people can do uh, to manage this it's not all about being slugged with a tax when you've got no choice I think people do actually have a lot of choices and we're seeing them voting with their feet all right thank you for your time uh, Marion Terrell there program director of transport and cities at the Grattan Institute I, I was actually in London over 20 years ago when their congestion tax it was about five pounds I think it's up to around 20 pounds now brought in and for the next year or so, uh, shops on what they call the high street, just any you know shopping sort of area, noticed a, a big decrease in traffic because people couldn't drive their cars in. Now, I don't know if that sort of reversed itself. Anyway, one double three six nine three. but I mean, here's another thing. It's not like Melbourne's public transport system is world class. If we're going to be taxed for using our cars, you know, maybe the government should come up with a better way of managing our trams and our trains and our buses.